All right. If you have a Bible, one certain turn to Hosea chapter eight, please. Hosea chapter eight. We're going to look at all fourteen verses. The message entitled "The Destructiveness of Sin." God has been merciful and patient towards the northern kingdom regarding her sin of idolatry. You remember God through the prophet Ahijah told Jeroboam the first that God was going to give him ten tribes and bless him like the house of David if he trusted him. Um, but Jeroboam didn't believe and trusted God. So he tried to secure his own kingdom by his own methods corrupting the worship of Yahweh. Changed the feast dates, uh, set up the calf worship of Dan and Bethel. You get some of that in 1 Kings 13, 32, and 33. In the next 253 years or so, the people progressively got further from God till they forgot their maker. That's how the chapter ends. That's the sad story. They didn't begin there, but they began with God. So anybody who says, well, we don't know. Man began with God in the garden and has moved away from God. So we want to look at the impending um, judgment on Israel, characterized by three things here in Hosea chapter 8. Let me read our text. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me. My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it. And it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. They saw, they sowed the wind and reaped the whirlwind. The stock has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone. By itself, Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations. Now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king and princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat meat, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. The impending judgment on Israel is characterized by the following three things. First, the stern proclamation of coming judgment for sin. Verse 1 through 6. Second, the painful devastation of self-inflicted consequences of sin. 
And thirdly, the arrogant perpetuation of living in sin. The stern proclamation of the coming judgment for sin comes first, verse 1 through 6. Notice in verse 1 through 3, God ordered Hosea to call for a solemn assembly by the blowing of the trumpet to warn Israel. The trumpet is used in many ways in the Old Testament, breaking of camp for the feast days, for weddings, for the warning is here. Set the trumpet to your mouth. The trumpet, the shofar, to warn the people of the judgment that was being brought upon them. Hosea was the last prophet to Israel, the northern kingdom. Amos had already warned to no avail. They were both watchmen, according to Ezekiel 33, 1 through 11. We as pastors are watchmen. We need to warn the people. God help the pastor that doesn't warn, doesn't teach, doesn't instruct, doesn't exhort, doesn't teach the word of God. Notice the manner of the judgment coming is very swift and sudden. He should come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. Everybody understands this metaphor. Judgment would be swift. An eagle sees its prey afar off. The timing. His eyes were on Israel. The house of the Lord indicates Israel. Talking about the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. The date has to be close to the end. 722, they went to captivity. It's probably about 724, somewhere around there. Syria has already been in the land. Shalmaneser, 727 to 22, that period as he's coming against them. And the reason for the judgment, notice, is in formal charges. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law, my covenant, my law. They. God is a covenant God to reconcile man for the sake of fellowship. Not because he's lonely, not because he needs anybody, but because he lies in fellowship with man. He made a covenant with Adam in Genesis. He made a covenant with Noah, with Abraham in Genesis, and Exodus with Moses, David in 1 Samuel. And he's made a new and eternal covenant better than the old one in Hebrews 7.20 and um, 8.13 for us, the New Testament believer. Now notice, Israel had violated two things here, very specific. They transgressed the covenant that bound them as one. And the word transgress there means to pass or cross over a willful disobedience. When you sin, it's because of weakness. You miss the mark. You go target shooting, you're aiming at the bullseye, you miss the whole target. You miss the mark. Sin. Trespass is the target's out there, you just start shooting anywhere. You don't even aim at the target. It's willful. This is the word. Now, they also rebelled against the particulars of the covenant, my law. It means to revolt, to go against. So this is sin against light. This is the people of God, by the way. So when you read the Old Testament, it's the people of God. They're not heathens. Look at verse 2. The hypocritical words of Israel are stated, and they regard these charges. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. Wow. This reveals the destructiveness of sin in one's life to not be able to detect the sad condition of one's life. They're in sin. They're in sexual rights. And they're still saying, my God, I'm a Christian. I go to church. 
Maybe you slept with your girlfriend or boyfriend last night. And you consider yourself a Christian and this is your practice. You're being deceived. Maybe you went out last night and got drunk or loaded. You're being deceived. You're deceiving yourself. Arrogant pride thinks you can um, disobey and still be one with God. He made this already point in chapter 5, verse 5. Spiritual blindness comes from hardness of heart, callousness. You get calluses on your hand by constantly working, right? When you do something constantly, you get a callous slayer. That's the heart. The judgment is confirmed by adding insult to injury by casting off the good God intended for them. Listen to the words. Israel has rejected the good. But the enemy will pursue him. So Israel knew their God and the promises of God. They had his word. The word rejected means to to cast off repulsively, odiously, the good, the excellent things that God wanted to do for them. You know, it's like kids when they're growing up, they're teens. Oh, my dad just wants to make my life miserable. No, he's trying to give you the good and keep you from the bad. But because... You're young and you don't know. And you're moved by your friends and the culture. You don't see your own destruction. This is the picture. Israel would be pursued by the enemy. God was going to use Assyria, the rod of his anger or wrath. Isaiah 10.5. And Isaiah is a, a contemporary, okay? He's prophesying down south. Hosea is up north. Now notice in verse 4 through 6, God declared by Hosea two important pillars that brought... The fall of the nation. Don't miss this. Ungodly leaders first. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. So God chose the first king, Rehoboam, the first, as we saw. And God said he would bless them. But he rebelled against God. So from the very first one, he set himself up the way he wanted. Trusting in himself, giving the people what they wanted, catering to their belief systems and lifestyle. We see this today. The people of Israel chose all other kings and princes by usurping authority and assassinations. That's the history of the northern kingdom. The people did not consult God, it says here. They set up kings, but not by me. Israel had 19 kings, from Jeroboam to Hoshea, and then, of course, the last one was put there, Zedekiah. All bad. Not one good one. The people did not care about the approval of God. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. So when we see the evil of the world, we see things happen in families and people. We always want to blame God. Well, why God didn't do that? Why, why does God allow? Wait, 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 wait. God's, God's on the throne. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's no problem in heaven. The problem's down here. You know why? Because you and me, we're people, sinful people. Our heart is deceitful. And when you move God out of your life, you've only got one way to go. Evil and down. Not good and up. The period of five, about 253 years again, not one good one. Now Ephraim, Hosea 5.11 says, Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked, listen, by human precepts. You remove yourself from God, the word of God, and we'll see this as we go further, and you start Leaning to your own understanding. Oh, we've got all the answers. Oh, we can do it. Oh, we've got technology. We've got science. We've got the internet. And everything you read in the internet is true, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hosea 10.13 says, You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. The second pillar is ungodly religion. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Now, in this statement, you're going to have one of two choices. Either God predestined them to make idols and be cut off, or they made idols and were cut off. Okay? If you make God the culprit, then he's responsible and he's judging unjustly. If they're responsible, then God is just and holy. I'll go with God. (laughs) That's what the text is saying. Israel replaced the worship of God with idols. Using silver and gold to replace the invisible God. A contradiction and disobedience to the first and second commandment of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. You shall make no image. You shall bow down to no image. Right? Why? How are you going to make something visible that's invisible? So you have eyes, ears, so you put little eyes, little ears. Your little God, you put it on the shelf. Earthquake comes, breaks his neck. You get crazy glue, put him back up there. And now you're going to pray to him? They should pray to you. Israel makes idols, images of themselves in order to pray and to worship. And yet ascribing it to the worship of Yahweh, syncretism. We've used this word often. It's bringing whatever you believe, whatever you practice under the umbrella of the Bible, Christianity, and Jesus as Lord, and you say it's biblical. But it isn't. It's contradictory. It's wrong. Israel severed herself from God by these idols. Listen, that they might be cut off. In other words, what they did resulted in being cut off. This is not indicating the purpose of the people that made the idol. Well, let's make some idols. We'll be cut off from God. No, this is a statement of the consequences of making idols. One leads to the other. Look at five and six. The denunciation by God of the pagan idols is given here. God addressed himself to the capital of Israel. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. The word rejected means cast off as repulsive or odious. The same word that was used for the rejection of the good that God wanted to do in their life, as we've seen. God indicated the violation of his holiness. Listen, you might not pick it up. My anger is aroused against them. Why? Because he's holy. The heavens are not pure in his sight. He cannot look upon sin with condonas. There must be... Confession, there must be forgiveness. There must be a basis by which you can confess and be forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ. No other way. So you come the way God has made. Now in this context, the Old Testament is the blood of sacrifices, right? But those that were, that were offering were not according to the prescribed manner in the law. And in the, in the, they weren't repenting. So it's useless. God is a jealous God. Exodus thirty four fourteen. The spirit in us yearns to jealousy. James Four or five tells us the Holy Spirit doesn't want to share us with anyone else. The things that are not of God. God expresses patient long suffering, but to no avail. Listen to this carefully. How long until they attain to innocence? God speaking through the prophet. In other words, they won't. Now either God is exaggerating a line here or he's telling the truth. Which one is it? 
Now, I don't know if you really repented. I got to walk, look at your life. But God knows immediately if you really repented, right? So we have no problem with God knowing. The problem is the horizontal, not the vertical. Look at verse 6. God provided the proof. Their idolatrous heart. For from Israel is even this. A workman makes it and it is not God. There's certain judgment, but the capital of Samaria should be broken in pieces. God rejected the golden calf of Samaria, the capital, in his anger, because he's holy. It was an unholy place. But when the, he offended through Baal worship, he died, Hosea 13, 1 says. He died. They say of them, let the man who sacrificed kiss the calves, Hosea 13, 2. Now, most of us are ex-Catholics. We used to kiss our crucifix, our scapular. Kiss our, our saints, our virgins. Kiss the foot of Peter. Kiss the Bible. Psalm 2 says, you want to kiss somebody, you kiss the son lest he be angry with you. It's a form of worship. Wow. Isaiah says a man takes a tree, cuts it down. He makes a stool. He takes some, warms himself in the fire. He cooks some food. And then he takes of the same wood, makes a God. He bows down. He says, deliver me. Wow. How foolish can you get? Jeremiah 10.8 says, But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Jeremiah 10.8 Psalm 115, 4 through 8 says, They have eyes they can't see, hands they can't handle, feet they can't walk. And those who worship them become just like them, blind, deaf, and crippled to the things of God. Insensate. Wow. The leaders and people of the United States have and are denying the good that God did for us in the past and have attributed to the success of capitalism alone. But now... Capitalism is being attacked in the last eight years. How interesting. Once you reject and remove God, you will reject and remove morality and ethics, which in turn corrupt and destroy the effective and efficiency of capitalism. There's no rules. Everybody's dishonest. Everybody's corrupt. And no one goes to jail. So it doesn't work. Our constitution, our capitalism only works if there's norms of morality, ethics, and consequences. Simple. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life, Proverbs 22, 4 says. An amoral society living and refusing to acknowledge and distinguish between right and wrong will fall apart from within. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death, Proverbs 16.25. We have plenty of civilizations to look. Rome is one of the biggest. It fell from within. Corrupted. By the way, it's a republic, like we used to be. We're not any longer. We were never a democracy. We're a republic. Read your Federalist Papers, the Constitution. 
We have elected and accepted godless leaders who believe in no absolutes, who lie and call good evil and evil good. Since 1973, I have killed 57 million babies by abortion, saying it's not raw, it's only tissue, it's not a baby. Now in July of 2015, we just discovered that Planned Parenthood is uh, harvesting organs from, from babies for profit. It should be no surprise. See, once you've killed 57 million for 50 years, it's no problem what comes next, euthanasia. To help old people die with dignity, right? So they say. <laughs> it's really to save money. They don't have to care for you. And by the way, it'll be included in Obamacare. It's part of the plan. Washington will decide how much you get, if you get it. Depending on your age, your productivity. It's just that simple. You don't believe me? Go to Europe. <laughs> Go to Canada. That's why they used to come here for operations and for medical. But now our wonderful medical community has been destroyed. Amazing. Euthanasia was around the corner in the 90s. Remember Dr. Kevorkian? And now it's here. Oregon, Vermont, state of Washington permits euthanasia. Montana's in the courts over it. 39 states still oppose it. Um, but it's here. You, some of you are old enough, not you young people, but you remember uh, Project 10 in the 80s. Project 10 declared that one in 10 were homosexual. That's how it started. And they did that to condition and begin to indoctrinate and also to recruit. Now it's an accepted norm, right? That's what it is. Now you're castigated if, you, if you're against it. Uh, you're penalized. You're ostracized. It's the law of the land. It's a corruption of God's creation. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 to 32. The changing of the natural use of the woman. Women with women, men with men where they receive their just reward or punishment. That's God speaking, not me. Listen carefully. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plea for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. You think you're talking about the U.S. Senate and the Congress and the Supreme Court. It's Hosea, it's Isaiah 59, 3-4. This is leaders that are godless. Evolution has become the religion of our nation and the world, treating creation as an idol, teaching man as evolving into the new and better world. Our president even used that word, man's evolving. We're evolving as a society. Yeah, downward. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. We have this love affair with Mother Earth. Gore in his book. <laughs> Amazing. At people's expense. Listen, God is into saving people. He'll take care of the earth. And if you're a Christian, you'll take care of the earth. You're not going to throw your trash anywhere. You respect God's creation. 
Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. It could be a person, a house, finances, child, husband, wife, whatever. It's that void that Romans 8.20 says that God has built us with. It cannot be fulfilled by any of these things except by God himself. The scriptures teach idolatry is the worship of demons. Deuteronomy 32.17, 1 Corinthians 10.20. Listen to Romans 21-22 and 28. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. God gave them over to debase or reprobate minds to do those things which are not fitting or convenient. Romans 1, 21 through 22 and 28. So, this is the stern proclamation of the coming judgment for sin. What nation has escaped judgment from God? Do we think we will? Absolutely not. Notice, secondly, comes the painful devastation of sin-inflicted consequences for sin. The painful devastation of self-inflicted consequences for sin. Notice, verse 7. Israel was personally responsible and accountable for the judgment coming on them. You can't point the fingers. You can't say, our, our, our parents are sour grapes, our teeth are on edge. You can't say, I'm dysfunctional. You can't say, it was my parents' fault. Nope. The context of the sowing is in this, in things that are bad in character. Take a look at it. For ungodly things. They sow to the wind. The context is bad things, ungodly things. The individual takes the initiative to sow seed of corruption and evil. That's the point here. The word sow simply means to yield or to scatter. The metaphor is an agricultural one. This is an agricultural society. Everybody understood it from the little child. A farmer in a positive way would sow greater amount of seed knowing that not all is going to produce for the harvest. He'll pick it up again in chapter 10, verse 11 through 12. Break up your follow ground. But the sowing, notice in our text, is of bad character, teaching just the opposite of the agricultural principle, as we will see. That is, that bad sowing, as little as it might be, will produce a greater harvest of pain, regret, and more evil for a set time and sometimes for life. Do you see that? All right? That's the point. The nature of the corrupt and evil sowing is affirmed by the wind. Ruach, representing vain, empty, and worthless things. Those things not of God. The things that have no positive value for one's life or other people. Be it in thought, word, or deed, or action due to our sin nature. The heart of man is deceitful. Desperately wicked, Jeremiah 79. Sinners and saints deceive themselves thinking the decision and experience will benefit them, often against their conscience and the truth of God's word. The deception is wanting to be like other people, everybody else, thinking you are missing out on a thrill, pleasure of the experience or even the satisfaction of corrupting someone else. The reality is the opposite. The result is shame, guilt, regret knowing it cannot be undone unless you're just far gone into sin and doesn't even bother you. Listen what Hosea says about Ephraim in Hosea 12.1. Ephraim feeds on the wind. How fast would you be hungry again if you just ate wind? 
You need no explanation. <laughs> These things are vain, ungodly. They don't satisfy. They destroy. They don't build up. The emptiness also takes place when a person is not living for God, but simply for achieving things in life. Solomon gives the window of that. Listen. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping the wind. Ecclesiastes one seventeen. It just goes through my hands. No satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Then I looked in all the works that my hands had done, in the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. These, there was no profit under the sun. That's all. I did a lot of things. Wealthy beyond measure. 300 wives, 700 concubines. Woo! Think you'd be happy. Mm -mm. He says, I have not found one faithful. Wow. Therefore, I hate a life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Ecclesiastes 2.17 Anything you achieve, your, 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 your education, your profession, whatever it is, without God or knowing God, the older you get, you realize, is this all? It's vain. And you're going to die and give everything away? And that's it? Wow. The people of Israel had the freedom to sow whatever they wanted, but not the reaping. Listen. And reap the whirlwind. Whoa. The sowing is bad, not the whirlwind. The phrase whirlwind indicates the consequence of the sinful and evil deeds. Literally, the storm wind. The storm wind. That's good. The whirlwind had a twofold application. The consequences and uh, and harvest of their own sinful deeds. And the castigation by God and judgment coming to them. Twofold. You've got to deal with the consequences here in the earth. And you've got to face God. Twofold. Now notice the affirmation of the castigating judgment is confirmed. The stock has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. So the metaphor again is agricultural and clearly understood by all who heard the words of Hosea here. The standing grain had no sprouting growth, though it should have come first. It's not there. God's judging them. The standing grain would never produce the head of wheat. That is what's natural that follows. The reason being that God has been judging them with drought, scarcity of harvest, because they were crediting it to their fertility gods, all their prosperity. Amos spoke about that in Amos 4, 7 through 12. I, I, I withheld rain, and instead of you seeking me and repenting, you went and got water somewhere else and came back, and you didn't repent, so on and so on. You kept, I'm going now. The confirmation of the direct hand of God on them in judgment is exclamatory. Listen to the words. The word if means pre-adventure, suppose, or suppose it should produce wheat. Now, I haven't allowed it to produce. I've held the rain and all that. But supposing it did, then God would directly give it over to the aliens. They would steal the harvest. God would still judge them. So you have freedom to do what you want. But God's still on the throne. You're not going to affect the ultimate purpose of God, but you are going to affect your life. Right? That's what happens. Look at verse 8 and 10. 
Israel was not acknowledging the judgment of God on them and attempting to seek help from other nations. We are resourceful rascals. We, we, I got a wire. You go crazy. Their judgment could not be averted. Listen, the statement of fact is as if it already took place. Israel is swallowed up. Literally, they have been swallowed. What did he just talk about? Like wheat. Wow. They were seeking help from other enemies. Their enemies. Does that sound familiar? Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. Trusting and depending on them for help. Turning into useless, worthless vessels, despising God. Literally a vessel for which there is no desire, dishonor. Second Timothy 2, 19 and 21. You get to choose to be a vessel of honor or dishonor. Silver, gold, earthen vessel, whatever. It's a choice. The rejection of God was complete. Look at 9. They were trusting their enemies to be their friends. Does that sound familiar? Netanyahu said, your enemies are not your friends. They have gone up to Assyria. Netanyahu said, you have gone up to Iran. Oh, Persia. And we will run. Our enemy is not our friend, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to Second Kings fifteen nineteen. Paul, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. So he became a tributary uh, uh, slave. The king Paul bought him off. Second Kings seventeen four says Hoshea, the king of Israel, became a vassal of tribute to Shalmaneser, and he was discovered to be a conspiracy against Shalmaneser when he went to Egypt. So he busted him. He took him in captivity. So you think you're you're paying tribute over here, and then you stop paying tribute, and you have this guy to help you, and he finds out about it, and you're dead. We have made our enemies our friends and we have turned our back on our friends and made them our enemies. Now you have everybody as an enemy. Woo. You think of Hosea's relative for today? They were portrayed by the metaphor of a self-willed stubborn animal, a donkey in heat, rather than the people of God. To repent and obey. Listen to the words. Like a wild donkey alone by itself, Ephraim has hired lovers. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jareb, yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound, Hosea 5.13. He's already warned them. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. We've seen this before. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Hosea 7.10, 7.11. Those are the two. Assyria up north, Egypt down south. Listen to Jeremiah. 
He comes 114 years later, the southern kingdom, Jeremiah 2.24. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not, uh, will seek her, will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. This is the picture for both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. A stubborn, rebellion jackass that doesn't know its own destruction. It's enslaved to its own corrupt, sensual passions. Wow. Notice 10. They were going into captivity. Their foreign alliances were futile. Listen. Yes, though they have hired among the nations. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Their judgment or their judge was Yahweh. Now I will gather them. Their punishment was sure. And they shall sorrow a little. Their executioner was Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, because of the burden of the king of princes. That's who's referred to there. Listen to Hosea's own words in eleven twelve. Ephraim has encircled me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. Lies and deceit. There was a couple that got saved out of the world. Before getting married. And um, then they got married and the guy asked her a pointed question, particularly if she had slept with a particular guy. She said no. Later after the marriage, the truth came out and from that point on, resentment, bitterness destroyed their lives and the life of their children who grew up on their own. Due to divorce. Granted forgiveness could have saved the marriage. But her deceptive betrayal prior to marriage. So destructive consequences. The whirlwind. That honesty and truth would have averted. She was not thinking of the pain. She would bring on him. In the marriage. She considered her own protection. And benefit in the marriage. At the expense of truth. And men have lied to women about being married before. Or having two other families. And then it goes both ways. It's treacherous, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is the heart. I don't make these things up. I've been a Christian for 42 years. 39 of them as a pastor. No one gets away with anything they have done. With God, all sin is forgiven. Let's get that clear. When there is genuine repentance. But the person has to live with the consequences sometimes, right? You're a young lady, you get pregnant. God forgives you if you repent, but the baby does not go away nor the connection to the husband, to the daddy, or the mom, depending on what end it is. With people, forgiveness of sin is not always that simple, nor is it always imparted. 
due to the nature of the sin or the hardness of the heart, resentfulness and bitterness. Paul puts it this way, kind of like what Hosea did. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, Hosea is making the parallel of Gomer's unfaithfulness married to Hosea in Israel's marriage to God. Now, when you're married to God and you say, God, forgive me, he knows everything. And you're being honest with him, he forgives you. If you're not honest, he doesn't forgive you. On earth, your wife and husband don't know everything. Okay? They're trusting you to be honest. Prior or after. There's the problem. If you get busted in lies then how is the confidence that you're telling the truth now? It undermines the marriage, the relationships. For the hope of forgiveness and reconciliation with a person, certain, certain things have to be present. First, the acknowledgement and confession of one's sin against the person. Not just justifying their sin by pointing out the sin of the person they have sinned against nor demanding forgiveness or that they just have to deal with it, especially if it's in marriage, adding insult to injury, not being broken by their own sin and betrayal. And then there has to be a willingness of both persons to forgive by dying to self as Christ confidently knows the person who sinned against them it's totally honest, not lying and repenting. Hopefully the mate also has that confidence. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgives you. So we have an obligation to each other. But we should never use that as a hammer to force people and not be really repentant and crushed by our sin against them. And lies and deception or whatever it may be. This is the devastation of self-inflicted consequences of sin. Happens every day. All the time. Every generation. Notice thirdly. Comes the arrogant perpetuation of living in sin. 11 through 14. And 11 Israel catered to her flesh, making provisions to pursue her sinful lifestyle. She's unrepentant. The people multiply their altars for sin because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. There were two central altars, Dan and Bethel, as we've said. Um, they, and then inferior ones or minor ones sprung all over the country, but two major ones. These altars, as noted, involve fertility and sexual rights to make the land fertile, uh, to ensure the harvest. Gomer, again, the occult prostitute, married Hosea, committed adultery. And then the parallel is Israel married to Yahweh. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Now, the people multiplied other altars too. But not just these. Um, 
Astrith, the goddess of fertility, with her consort Baal. Ahab and Jezebel is no fill the land of Israel with altars and temples of Baal and prophets and prophetess in 1 Kings 16, uh, 30-32. There were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah that gathered to Mount Carmel and Elijah defeated and destroyed the 400 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. That was the northern kingdom. Some of you have been there, Carmel, beautiful area. Behind us is Haifa. Carmel's right here, looking out to the, to the Valley of Megiddo. Beautiful. Now, notice the altars attracted and enslaved the sexual passions of the people here by the fertility rights of the people. They have become, for him, altars for sinning. Israel had made it their way of life. Hosea 9.1 says this, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. So they would go do their sexual rites and then they would see the harvest. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're for hire because this is part of your pay. And as a result of my enjoying and participating in this, that really is responsible for the harvest. Wow. And this passed from generation to generation. They began with God and then they didn't know God. They rejected God. We're going to see. Israel credited their prosperity to the altars. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars according to the bounty of his hand or the land. They have embellished his sacred pillars. Hosea 10.1 says. They're into this stuff. Totally deceived and destroyed. Look at 12. Israel thought God's word was too narrow. Does that sound familiar today? God had given them his word. I have written for him the great things of my law. God gave the most of the Ten Commandments and the entire law to guide them at Mount Sinai, as you know, written with the finger of God. Exodus 24, 12, 31, 18, 32, 15, and other passages. The hand of God, the finger of God. He wrote it. They were without excuse. They had more accountability and responsibility because they had the greater light. These are not pagans. They're God's people. God gave them his word to benefit them, revealing great things. Underline that, great things. The word, the word great things of my law, it means the myriad of detail. The express will of God is all over the Pentateuch, the first five books. The way to approach God, sacrifice, the word to do it, the priests. The clean and unclean food, the sanctity of marriage, the, the prohibition of sexual sin against cousin, sister, mother, auntie, uncle, all that kind of stuff. Bestiality, homosexuality, all of that. Very, very clear. Israel had abandoned the word. Listen, but they were considered a strange thing. The phrase consider strange is to think or account as foreign. They began with the word of God. Then they compromised the word of God. Then they discarded the word of God. They were constantly warned by God. From the first man of God who prophesied against the altar of Bethel. As Jeroboam was burning incense in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 3. Remember his arms shriveled up and he prayed for him. That was the first one. The last one here is Hosea. Warning. Proclaiming judgment, captivity. They're still in the same place. From the first to the last, nothing. 
Notice in 13. Israel syncretized Yahweh to pagan religion. But God did not accept them. Their offerings were a stench, an insult to God. You might read first two chapters of Isaiah at this time. He says the same thing. Offer the blemished things to your governor. See if they like it. <laughs> their offerings were a stench. For the sacrifice of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. They were associating the name of Yahweh with the sacrifice of the pagan altars while eating unclean flesh. Contrary to the word of God. Anything. They were associating Yahweh with the loose sexual rites at the altar. Today, the new defined Christianity and Christian is embracing some of this stuff. Oh, well, the word of God is different today. You know, we're living in a postmodern period. All fancy, educated, stupid words. I looking in the mirror and seeing your, your hair's all tweaked and your buttons are out of line. You say, man, I look good. And you walk out. Really? A mirror tells you the truth. It never lies to you. If you look into the word of God, it will never lie to you. It will show you exactly who you are. But it won't force you. Their time of judgment had come. Listen to 13. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. God remembers every sin. But God does not remember sins that are forgiven. They're buried in the deepest ocean. Micah tells us. Thank God. Listen to Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's why we need to be born again. So that God cleanses us from our stupid past. The psalmist said, remember not the sins of my youth. Whew, that's a great verse. Young and dumb is a bad combination. Notice in 14, Israel could do all this because she had forgotten her maker and replaced him by having or by living for pleasure and materialism. Here's the sad commentary. This is the end result. The heart of Israel's sin, listen to the words, for Israel has forgotten his maker, his creator. How do you get there? One step at a time. The word forgotten means to cease to care, literally to wither. This happened not by being in fellowship and obedient to God. But this happens by strain. Not staying right, not confessing, not repenting. This happens by not spending time with God personally. This happens by forgetting all God has done, being unappreciative. Some people you haven't seen for years, and all of a sudden you'll think, wow, you haven't seen them in 20 years. I haven't even thought about them. Why? Because you no longer saw them. You no longer talked to them. So they're gone. They've been withered from your mind. The prophet Moses warned them about the perils of prosperity that God would give them 
as they entered the land. He said, when you go in the land, you catch those vineyards. You have those vineyards, the cities, the cisterns. All those things, don't forget, I gave them to you. You didn't work for it. The promise was that Yahweh was going to destroy the nations before them. But the warning was, but when you see all these material things, don't forget who gave them to you. And if you don't, I'll destroy you like those before you. The perils of prosperity. Deuteronomy 4.23, 6, 10 through 12, 8, 10 through 14, verse 19 and 20. Material stuff. Takes us away from God. Nothing wrong with it. In his proper sense. But he warned them. And they failed in that way. Notice the result was to fill that void with things. And as built temples, Judah also has multiplied fortified cities. Israel had replaced the worship of Yahweh at the temple of Solomon with temples of Sinners and Dan and Bethel, Baal and Ashtoreth. Judah had increased her fortified cities, securing and being inaccessible to the enemy, Assyria and Babylon, thinking that's going to do it. Let's fortify our city. Let's you know, put ramps here and let's put soldiers here. God says, you're going down, baby. You're going down to Chinatown. You're going to captivity. Wow. The consequences, but I will send fire upon the cities and it shall devour his places. The sharp contrast cannot and should not be missed. But I, no matter what Israel did or planned, judgment was sure. They had the freedom to live and worship Yahweh or the other gods. This would in no way affect the ultimate purposes and plans of God, but it would affect them personally, individually, and that generation. Whatever you and I decide, we will mess up ourselves and others with us, but it will not thwart the ultimate purposes of God. God is on the throne. He's not biting his nails. We're right on schedule. I just hate the schedule. The sure cost should not be minimized. Listen, I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his places. Wow. All would be destroyed and lost. Listen to Hosea 9.12. This wraps it up, sums it up. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Wow. Did you depart from God is one thing. But when God says, I depart from you, whoa. These are the saddest words in the Bible. Whoa, he's not on a horse. It's judgment. America is like a healthy body. And its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism. It's morality. It's spiritual life. If we can undermine these three, America will collapse from within. Joseph Stalin. What are we under right now? Social Marxism. Oligarchy. Where are the three pillars that have been attacked? There it is. Morality, patriotism, our spiritual life. 
The progressive steps, methods, and laws to corrupt our nation have long been in effect, ladies and gentlemen, as we've seen. We want to belabor the point. Going from a free capitalistic market to a forced socialistic economic breakdown. Going from education to indoctrination. Going from a moral and ethical society to an amoral and corrupt society. Going from a republic to an oligarchy. Going from a united nation to a divided one. Going from believing in God to believing in man. Romans 13, 13 through 14 says, Let us walk properly as in, that day, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Lust is not just sex, anything that drives you, anything that controls you, any strong desire will take you away from God. Make no provisions for it. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. I am responsible to God. Syncretism is what the liberal church is all about. Adding to the word of God from the early church fathers, such as contemplative prayer, the emergent circles love this stuff and other things. But the trunk is ecumenical, many tributaries. Ecumenicalism means we're all one. So there's no focus on sanctity, repentance, sin. It's just we're all one. No, I don't think so. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Now, this is applied to Israel. How does it apply to us? Read your constitution. Read your bill of rights. Read every monument in Washington. Take out the coin in your, and the money in your pocket and God we trust. You think that God's going to wink at that? <laughs> Culturalizing the church and the Christians by redefining them according to the worldly acceptance of relativism and an amoral society. This is the apostate church being put together today, Laodicea. First Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly or clearly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That text in context says periodically they'll be falling away from the faith. The ultimate falling away is in Thessalonians, right before the church is removed. And I think it's already started. Not using God's word as a plumb line, the only authority for divine truth and to, and to verify truth and practice. We've already gone through First Tim, Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen, Second Peter chapter one nineteen through twenty one. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, proper doctrine, correction, proven righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished into every good work. The men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God to ensure that what you have, ladies and gentlemen, on your lap is God's inerrant, infallible Word, and God will hold you and I accountable to it. Amos, the prophet, kind of sums it up. Listen, I overthrew some of you, God speaking through him, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like the firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me or repented, says the Lord Yahweh. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Oh. It's not for repentance, it's for judgment. 
because you have refused to repent over and over again. The only thing that's left is judgment. It's a strange way for God to deal with judgment, Isaiah says. He'd rather forgive. All things are written for our learning, our admonition, examples, and patience of hope. Romans 15.4, 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, lest we come to that same place. Don't explain away the Old Testament. Don't spiritualize it. They'll say, well, it doesn't apply to us. Really? These aren't the people of God? It's not the same God? This is the arrogant perpetuation of living in sin. Man. The impending judgment that would fall upon Israel has been characterized by the stern proclamation of coming judgment for sin. The painful devastation of self-inflicted consequences of sin. The arrogant perpetuation of living in sin. You as a near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts. Thank you for your word and your grace and that you do forgive sin. Help us to be able to forgive one another. Help us in our weaknesses and the treachery that we do to each other, the lies, the deception. And the Lord, we would be like you and trust you, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to turn from your sin. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, that God the Father sent him to die in your place for your sin and paid the price and raised him from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you, then you can call upon him, and he will forgive you. And he will bear your sins in the deepest ocean, never mention them again, and give you the grace to live with whatever baggage as you walk with him and you grow with him. If you want to be born again, whether you're here or over the internet, this is your prayer of repentance. You choose where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. God does not choose that for you. He's made the way. You get to choose. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to him, not to us. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.